All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, as we just sang that as the deer pants for the water, help our, our cry of our hearts to thirst after you and you alone. Thank you that your word is alive and is and active and it will do what it was sent out to do. So dearly Father, may your word have its way in our hearts and our minds today. The topic we're about ready to speak about is so prevalent in all of our lives. And so, dearly Father, help us to understand how we are to live faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Follow as I read. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. Before I read verse 7, I'm going to share a little bit of a quick a uh, personal story before we get to verse 7. It was February of 1983, and in a small town hospital in Phoenixville, PA, there was a young mother named Cindy who was sitting by the bed of her son, Tim. She would sit there for 14 days in a row. Tim's body was fighting a bad case of internal and external chickenpox, a ruptured appendix, and an allergic reaction to an antibiotic that was causing his temperature to rise to 106 while wrapped in a cold blanket. And there she sat, talking and praying. She would encourage him with things that he would do when he'd get out of the hospital. Now, a mother in 1983, sadly, was a lot different than mothers today, because in a mother in 1983, here's what she said, not 18, 1983, she made sure that when I finally could make it back to Cubby's, after missing it twice, I was ready with my verse. There was no, you've been sick in the hospital near death, we'll give you an extra week off. My mom was ready to go. And the verse that we quoted over and over again, because you're going to be ready when you go back to Cubby's, whether you like it or not, Tim, was 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. And this verse was planned by a sovereign God to be the cubby verse that I needed to memorize, leading to that, and by God's sovereign hand, probably did more healing to my mom's heart as she sat there watching her three-year-old boy struggle. And this verse has made a huge impact in my own life, mainly because I disobey it all the time, because I'm really good and hanging on to my anxieties. So with that being said, the title of today's passage is Trust God. Now last week, we looked at the text where Peter is reminding us to clothe ourselves with something. You remember, clothe yourself with humility, right? Put on humility. Now today, we're going to talk about something we need to cast off And the kids did a phenomenal job of reminding us that hand motion of cast on your anxieties to the point where you're like, I think we got it, right? Like after they're repeating it like 80 times. And the reason they're repeating it 80 times is because we don't. All right. They could have sang that like 90 more times and we would have gone, that's really good. It's a nice song. But are you really going to do that? But before we go to that, though, there's verse 6. And I want to make sure we remember, Scripture is not written in a vacuum. Verse 6 brings us to verse 7. So in order to understand verse 7, we've got to go back to verse 6. And in verse 6, it reminds us to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
And so what we're going to see here in point number one is pride, and we're going to see power, because obviously the opposite of humility is pride, and we've been talking about pride. We're also going to look at power. Now, this cultural issue that we deal with right now, remember, we live in a culture. If you could say, what is the marching song that our culture marches to? What is the beat of the drum that they beat to? The culture we live in and the culture that is so invading us, and even to the point we start to hear ourselves singing this, is, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We live in a world that is singing that, and many times we start humming along with the tune, even though we have no idea why we're doing that, but because we hear it all the time. Right? We think that we are the master of our fate, I am the captain of my soul, look what I've done. And Peter reminds us here, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why is it under the mighty hand of God? Well, a couple of things just stick out to us in reminding ourselves of this. Pride in your life is literally opposed to the power of God. When you say, I've got this, because remember, the prideful heart says, I'm going to do it on my own, I don't need anybody else, I got this. The humble heart understands they need to place themselves under not just the hand of God, but what does it say? The mighty hand of God, reiterating to your own hand, which we'll find out the the hand of man is incredibly weak. Because the proud, even what the verse says, the proud will not be exalted by God. The reason why the proud will not be exalted by God is because the proud, the prideful heart, exalts itself. There's no need for God to exalt the prideful heart, because what does the prideful heart do? I've got this, I have it, I don't need him, I don't need anything else. And listen, what Peter is saying is, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Turn real quick to Psalm chapter 2. And in Psalm 2, the very beginning of this psalm here is an interesting look into the world around us. And in Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist is reminding us of a couple of things. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, starts off with a rhetorical question. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Meaning, why do we have nations raging? And this idea of raging is just a sea, just turmoil going, and the people plotting, even though what they plot won't even come about. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and and against his anointing, saying, let us burst our bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. Literally, what we're seeing here is the nations coming together and saying, let's cast off the strengths that God has placed on the earth here. Let's rebel against the clear commands of God. We're going to come together and we're literally going to have a session of how we can break what God has put together here in this world. How can we remove the fence post of morality that He has placed in our hearts? How can we remove them in society and everything else? And they're gathering together saying, let's figure this out. And here's what God does. He sits in the heaven and He laughs and He holds them in derision and the text continues going on just saying, You think you're doing all of this, and God says, you have no idea what you're doing. But pride in man's heart says, we've got this. Pride says, we don't need God. Turn on your way back to 1 Peter. We're going to stop in Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. And in Daniel chapter 4, let me give you a little background. We're going to be basically looking at verses 25 through 35, but I'm going to be summarizing them um, and then finally ending up verse 34. Daniel chapter 4. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in his dream, Daniel comes and interprets the dream, and in the dream that Daniel interprets, 
The dream is this. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be so puffed up in pride one time that God's going to humble you. And Nebuchadnezzar stands one day in front of all of the beauty of Babylon, which was literally one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. They sees the grandeur of it all. And Nebuchadnezzar basically says, look what I have done. Look by my hand what I have done. I am the greatest thing ever. They didn't even have sliced bread, but then he was you know, the greatest thing before sliced bread and after bread. And everything else he's standing here saying, look at who I am. Look at what I have done. And that moment... His mind departed from him, and he was driven among the cattle, and he ate grass, and he was basically insane and crazy. And then in verse 33, immediately the Lord was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among the men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heavens, and his hair grew long as an eagle feather, and his nails were like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, here's Nebuchadnezzar speaking, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, which is interesting, showing his humility. Because he thought he was the greatest thing ever. It was, look at what I've done. And now his reaction after he's been humbled is to look up, realizing that he is under the mighty hand of God. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar would not humble himself under the hand of God, so the mighty hand of God humbled him, causing him to realize that you are nothing under God. You think you're great, God says, no, I am great, and the only way to be great is to be humble, to humble yourself. Now, pride is not just a problem with kings, even though we just talked about kings and nations. It's not as if pride is only the people that are in authority or power. Pride literally is in the root of every single one of us. Pride has its grasp in all of our hearts on a daily basis. And here's the way it plays out. Because if we're honest with ourselves, you get a clear teaching from the Word of God that something that you're doing is wrong, but most of us think we can just dabble with it and not be impacted by it. We think that we can play with fire and not be burned. We think that when God's Word says, do this, we go, well, we'll just get close to it because we really know what's better. We really think we know all of these things. We really think that we can have this and we can have that at the same time, that we can serve two masters. But what does the Bible tell us? You can't. You can't ride the fence. But pride says, yes, we can, and pride tries, only that we will find that pride in of itself will destroy. Now, as we turn to verse 7 here, I want to remind ourselves again of the context that this passage is being written in. When it's talking about pride in verse 6, right, then it moves to anxiety here. The context and the world that this passage is written into, the people that were living in this day, what were they experiencing? What were the anxieties that are coming upon the people that this passage was written to? And we'll, I want to break it down here real quick. The political environment at that time, this is the church that's living under Roman authority. The political environment at that time was hostile to them. Rome regarded the, the, the Christian people, these Jewish Christian people, as a nuisance. Rome was also a little concerned because some people would come into their mix and while they were taking communion and they would use terms that this is the, but, the body and the blood of Christ, take and eat, 
Rumor had it that there's a bunch of cannibalistic people going things, not really understanding it, but just hearing the verbiage and going, these people are a little weird, all right? And not just weird now, they're becoming a nuisance. And so this, what used to be off into the corner is now becoming against what we're thinking as a culture, and their way of thinking is starting to become against the way we like to think about things, and they're becoming a nuisance. Not only that, the threat of persecution was starting to become a daily thing in front of them. These early Christians, then the anxiety that's most likely coming through them is, if persecution is just starting to happen with us, what about our kids? And what's the world going to be like when our grandkids come around? And the anxieties and the pressures that are going on. Would I lose my job if I follow Christ? What will the Roman authorities find out when they find out that I'm part of the Church of Rome? Am I going to lose my employment? What will happen if? And you fill in the blank. And worry about everything starts to happen. It was almost as if this was written out of our own page and paper today, because most of us will sit here and say, yeah, I got that, but here's what's happening. Let's be honest with ourselves. We live in a day and age where if you don't go with the narrative, not only are you not allowed to be silent, you actually have to be approving of the narrative. And we know it's February now, but we know June is coming, and we all know what happens in June where everybody says, you not only need to speak up and be in favor of sin, you need to wholeheartedly celebrate sin, what the Bible calls sin. We need to celebrate as a culture. So everybody in whatever business we're in, let's all get in line, right? And all of a sudden everybody goes, well, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. And anxiety can build in and not even just you. Like what happens with your kids? What happens with, I may be retiring in so many years. What happens if I have to lose my job because of this? What happens? And all these things and anxiety can build up in our lives very quickly. And so we look at point number two here. Pride and anxiety. What does pride have to do with anxiety? Let's go back to what we talked about last week, that humility, humility is defined as utter dependence upon the grace of God. A humble person realizes without the grace of God, so go I. A humble person is not looking down their nose at society. They're looking up to God and saying, without your grace and mercy, I would be who knows where. But praise be to God, it is not because of my own doing, but because of Him and Him alone. Humility says, I cannot carry these anxieties. Humility says, I can't carry them. I am utterly dependent upon the grace of God. Now, I'm working on this sermon. I'm going to give you a little in what this week was like. So, get home Thursday around 3-ish. I'm sitting there and doing the normal, what Tim does is I uh, sit down with a puzzle and because puzzle pieces don't talk back to you, you know, if they're not going to fit, they're not going to fit, right? So problems are easy to solve with a puzzle because they never change on you, right? And so you're sitting there with a the puzzle and all of a sudden my phone buzzes with a random Marshfield number. And I'm like, I just literally had those, one of those, you know, they call you for a timeshare over and over. And I'm like, I'm not answering this phone call. It's another one of those scams, right? Then all of a sudden a text pops up and my brain is like, I don't, I, like, I'm ready to just shut down for the day, right? And the text pop up and says, hey, this is so-and-so from the Marshfield PD. A five-month-old has passed away, and the family's asking for help. And I'm looking at that going, what do I do? What do you say to a family like that? So I text back, texting with the officer going like, 
are you going to be there for a while? How much time do I have or whatever? And everything in me is like, do I text back? Do I not text back? There goes that evening of puzzle making, right? And what am I going to say? So I say to Allison, hey, I got to go. So hop in the car. I'm driving there wondering, what do I do? How do what do you say to a family like that? And in typical police fashion, they give you just about enough information so you know nothing, like other than five-month-old dead. Like, what am I walking into, all right? And when I even get there, where am I going to find this family? What's all the things going on? And so, by God's grace, we were going through this. I decided, hey, I need to text the leadership of the church and say, hey, pray for me. I have no idea what I'm walking into. I mean, you get there and everything's deathly quiet because no one really even knows what to say because parents are not supposed to be burying their kids type of deal. And you got all of this alive and ready right in front of you. And here we go. And realizing by God's grace, because I was able to take that anxiety and say to leaders of the church, pray. Like, I don't even know what you should be even praying right now. Just pray. All right. You go in there and a cop meets you halfway and he's like, hey, hey. Like, he's like, I, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, we're just sitting here while this family mourns, all right? I won't give you the whole rest of the story, but by God's grace at the end, we were able to circle the family together, pray with them, talk to them about things like this, because you're sitting here going, what do you do with these anxieties? What do you do with these cares? And by God's grace at that one moment there, I was able to say, here, here are the cares. We're just going to say, God, take it. We can't do this on my own. I need the men of the church to surround me, because what can happen is this. Pride will say, I don't need help. I'm not a welfare case, right? Because the pride in a, even a pastor can go, hey, I've done this before. I've been there. I know exactly the right word to say. I'll pull out my little box of right phrases, and I'll just use the right phrase at the right time thinking, I've got this. But what does humility say? Humility says, you don't have this. God has it. Take that anxiety, cast it on him because he cares for you. Because these anxieties will crush you. I'll be honest with you, even when I got home, even though you said, wow, Tim, you did a really good job of casting that on, on the leadership. But I'll be telling you, when I got home, and then, you know, you have the conversation, so Allison goes, so like, how'd it go? And you go, I, I don't really, I, how do I summarize the last three and a half hours, all right? So then, I'll be honest, I got down to the part here, I was kind of grumpy, because I, like, I just want to go to bed. I just want to fall asleep, wake up. And we'll go at it again in the morning, all right? Because in my mind, you're dealing with all these struggles of like, this is not supposed to happen. Why is there, because of sin in the world and everything else, like, what do you do? You want to give comfort? I don't know if I gave them comfort. I think I gave them comfort. I don't know. And all these things are going through your mind and this wrestle that is in front of you. Because these anxieties will crush you. You may look okay for a moment, but they are not yours to carry. They are not yours to carry. When you carry your anxieties, you will become stressed and you will bite those around you. Literally what I did when I got home. Even though you noticed I was like, hey, I'll get other people to pray for me. Then what am I going to do? When I go home, I'm going to wrestle with the, did you say the right thing, Tim? Did you do this at the right time? Did you stand, you know, like in all of the wonderful things that go through my mind? Because when we carry our anxieties, we cannot see our circumstances correctly. And if you do not have the right view of God, you will start to carry them yourself. Think of real quick, just we don't even need to turn. Remember Peter when he was walking in the water and he saw 
the waves around him. And instead of keeping his eye on God, when he kept his eye on God, he was able to walk on the water. But the moment he saw the waves crashing around him and he looked at his circumstances, he immediately sunk. This is exactly what we're talking about. When our eyes are focused on him and him alone, when the stress that comes, when the stress of anxiety comes into our our world that is going to be here, what we are called to do is what Peter tells us here, to actively place your anxiety on God. This is an action. Remember the kids in our song, literally cast your anxieties. This is an action of the heart and the will of casting it. We're not called to ignore our anxieties, meaning anxiety is part of life. I want to make sure we're clear on this. You will not live a completely is think anxious life or anxiety-less life or whatever you want to put that in there. Anxiety is part of life. And so once we realize that anxiety is going to come into your life on a daily basis, this idea of taking your anxieties and casting on them. Notice it doesn't say, do not have anxiety. All right, it says, when, you have, when you're anxious, what are you supposed to do? Cast them on the Lord. So anxiety is a part of life. Now you are stuck, though, with two options. Either I carry it, or I cast it. But either way, you're going to do something with your anxiety. And isn't it interesting? When we cast our anxieties on the Lord, you are no longer holding it. All right, like think through this for a moment. I'm talking to myself right now. When you cast it on the Lord, you're not saying, and by the way, I'm going to keep a finger on it just in case you don't have it handled. You're literally saying, here it is, Lord. I'm going to cast it on you, and I'm going to leave it there, not to pick it back up again, because they're literally, I'm casting them on you. Now again, remember the context of this passage. is dealing with anxieties in the evil world coming against the church, and the church wondering what will happen in the coming years. And so not only just are these personal anxieties, these are anxieties that are coming against the group as well. Like, how are you guys going to remain faithful? What is this going to look like? How are we going to handle all these things? So if we turn to the songwriter, there was a group, even though we're CBC, there was a group called CCR that tried to help at one time, and they talked about this. He says, I see the bad moon arising. I see trouble on the way. I see earthquakes and lightning. I see bad times today. And the answer for that is, don't go around tonight. Well, it's bound to take your life. There's a bad moon on the rise. So what's the answer to the problem? Just don't go outside. You know, just stay inside. Everything will be okay. All right. Because all this trouble is going on. Right. And then are we supposed to just sit there and look out our front door or what are we doing or all of these things in front of us? And so we have this answer. The world just says, just ignore it. Hopefully it'll go away. But the word of God tells us to literally cast our anxieties on him. Turn real quick to Matthew 13. And then the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, there is a middle seed that is thrown, that is thrown among thorny ground. And I want to point this out to you in Matthew 13, 22. Speaking about the seed that was thrown, when Jesus then explains it, after he describes the parable in, in verse 16 and so forth, actually in all the way up until then. In verse 22, he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one that hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That cares, literally the word cares there is, can also be interpreted in anxiety. So some of you may have in your Bibles back in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. That word care there is anxiety. 
can also mean. And so what do we see here? We see here in Matthew 13, 22, that literally anxiety chokes the word and the fruit and the word becomes fruitless in the life. And also it's interesting too, because notice we have cast your, the um, anxiety part there that squelches it plus riches. Isn't it interesting that those two are together there? The anxieties of the world and riches is because I would argue that there is a phenomenal connection between that because most of us try to solve all of our anxiety by running to what? The deceitfulness of riches. Because what's going to keep me from being worried is if I have enough money in the bank. And as long as I have enough money in the bank, now I'm not really all that anxious because I literally can handle anything that comes my way because money is going to be the answer to the problem until we find that you never have enough money for things. And even the, all of us, because here's what happens. All of us think that the guy next to us has more money than us. All right. But we forget that literally money has a way of like water. The more money you get, the more money you spend. And the more money you spend, the more money you get. And it's just a vicious cycle. Before you know it, you're going, you will never have enough. And so the way of dealing with anxiety is not to make more money. So you have more confidence in yourself. The answer with anxiety is to cast it on the Lord. Now, anxiety is destroying the culture. Uh, you do a, a study at all with any of the kids around us, any of the things, and you go to any of the local school districts, anxiety, depression is just rampant all throughout our culture. The reason why that is is because the culture is not humbling itself under God's mighty hand. What the culture is doing is they're saying, we've got this. You are the master of your own soul. You are the captain. You are the one that is doing it all. You do not need God. You do not need Him at all. So worry and anxiety has literally chained the next generation. Has literally kept these kids unable to respond to the world around them because there is no stability anymore. The only way that kids are even taught to handle anxiety and depression is to look within yourself. You just need to be truer to yourself, and if you were just truer to yourself, then you would not have anxiety or depression. The problem is, you, one look into the heart, the Bible tells us very quickly that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so even when you look inside your heart, you can't even trust that. And not only that, do we say to these kids, yes, we are not going to tell you there's any more standards anymore. The only standard is you and your standard, whatever you want it to be, and even that can change. Because even it doesn't even matter how you were born, that's not even a standard anymore. The standard is literally how you feel at the moment is who you are. And so here's what has happened in our society. Why anxiety, depression, and worry is so much is because the ancient landmarks that would point kids to the truth, the ancient landmarks that would say there is a right and there is a wrong no matter what is going on around you, you can look to the standard of right and wrong. And as our culture continually moves away from any standard of right or wrong, the posts that used to tell them where to go, the journey posts along the way, the mile markers have all been removed. And so literally what we have is a group of people just wandering through this world, having no idea what they're doing. There was someone who said this, and I don't even remember right now because I'm talking about my head. There was a, when a ship would leave a harbor, there was three things a ship would need to know. Where it's going, how's it going to get there, and how's it going to keep from bumping into one another. What has happened in our culture is we have forgotten even where we're going. We have no idea how to get there, and so all we're left was how do we keep from bumping into one another because we have no idea where the other ship is going. Because if you know that there's two ships coming and this one's going this way, and this one's going this way, this one gives way. But if we have no idea where this ship is going, you have no idea where you're going, guess what? 
wherever you end up is where you were going. And so we literally, no wonder why we have these kids so anxious about where they're going is because we have no idea where we're going, and we don't even know when we get there if this is where we were supposed to go. I know there's a lot in that, but the struggle through all of this is this is why we become so anxious, because we don't even know which way is true. And all of a sudden, this passage comes to us and says, trust God. Verse 7 here. God is the one who cares for you. He knows your life issues. He even knows the hair on your head. So cast all your anxieties on Him. Why? That word because is the reason. Because He cares for you. Trusting God's care. Pride robs us of God's care. Pride robs us of it because we say, no, we've got this. Pride comes in and says, I don't need God. But the humble heart realizes that they need the all ever-present care of God, because pride grumbles and does not trust God's care. Pride grumbles and does not trust God's prayer care. When we're prideful, we say, I got this. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I have it. I don't need all these other things. And I'll go back to the early example. On So when I was three sitting there in the hospital and we're memorizing this verse, I can guarantee you for those 14 days that we were there, there was no there was not any problem with ideas of what to do with Tim to get him better. All right, just about every doctor coming through, every person was coming through. We had grandparent meetings of maybe we should take him down to Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Does Phoenixville really know what they're doing? All these other things, you know, why is this fever spiking? And all these other things going on with that is, do we need to go back in for surgery again to see if there was any, any, any infection left over from the appendectomy surgery? What are we going to do with all of this? And everybody had their ideas. All right. I mean, there was enough anxiety to go around. I, I didn't really remember a whole lot of the anxiety going around, but there was enough anxiety to go around for, for all these things. And so right in front of them, when all of these things are happening, do we grumble? Do we complain about the anxiety that is there? A quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, every time the sheep bleeds, it bleats, it loses a mouthful. And every time we complain, we miss a blessing. Grumbling is a bad trade and yet yields no profit. But patience has a golden hand. Our evils will soon be over. After rain comes clear shining. Black crows have wings. Every winter turns to spring and every night breaks into morning. Every time we complain, we lose a mouthful of God's blessing. Isn't that interesting of what happens in our lives? Real quick here, talking about under the mighty hand of God, turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. And in Numbers 11 here, um, if you ever want to... So for parents, if you've ever had kids that are grumbling, all right, I would encourage you to read through Numbers with them, and you'll find out that grumbling is not a new sin in the world, all right? So let's put ourselves in context here. The Israelite people were in slavery. Slavery to the point where their firstborn male kids were being killed. All right? Where they, being, where they were being asked to work incredible hours, horrible conditions, and everything else. And God miraculously redeems them out of slavery, sets them off to a promised land. They're on their way to a promised land from slavery. 
All right, let's think about that for a moment. On their way to a land flowing with milk and honey. On their way from slavery to the promised land, and they've got to go through the desert. And while they're going through the desert, they literally, when water is needed, water is given. Literally, food is falling out of the sky for them to eat. The things you would think, this group of people, what do they have to complain about, right? you got water and food whenever you need it, and God is literally leading you to paradise. A land flowing with milk and honey. Well, just like all of us, the grumbling starts. We want meat. Tired of manna, we want meat. And so Moses goes to God and lets them know, and God says, if they're not content with what I have, I will give them more meat than they even know possibly how to eat. It'll literally be coming out of their nostrils. They will have so much meat. And Moses goes basically, where are you going to find that in the desert? Are you going to have to kill all the animals? All the, are you going to f- kill all their flocks so we have enough food? But then once you do that, what are we going to eat when we get to the promised land? And so in Numbers 11 here, Moses is bringing his request in verse 23. Here's how God responds to him. Probably already there. You could probably read it for me. 11.23. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. Literally, he says, do you think that my arm is too weak to handle your anxiety? Really? You think that I'm too weak? That when you cast your anxieties on me, I'm not able to carry them? Do you really think that I'm that weak? Try me and see what the Lord... And what the Lord does is He brings this huge quail. The quail come and they fly in and they're so easy to gut that the people get so much of it that they literally gorge themselves and get sick on the thing that they thought they wanted that was going to bring all their answers. They realize it was not and God is teaching a phenomenal lesson. Be content with what you have. And what we see in front of us here is the question in each one of our lives when you're sitting there, whether you're sitting by the bed of a child that is struggling to live, whether you're sitting in your own home and you're looking at a wayward child, whether whatever it is, and you start taking those anxieties on yourself, you're literally saying, God, I don't think your hand is strong enough. I really don't think you can handle this because you know what? I've got to handle it. You know, whether you have a marriage that's falling apart, I'm just trying to list everything off the top of my head. Whether marriage is falling apart, whether your work situation stinks, fill in the blank. Do you really think God's hand is too short that He can't handle it? In the evening and the morning of January 6th, Spurgeon says, if God cares for you, why need you care too? Think about that for a moment. If God cares for you, why do you need to care too? Can you trust Him for your soul and not for your body? Seriously, I'm just talking to myself. Seriously, can we trust Him for our soul and not our body? He has never refused to bear your burdens. He has never refused to bear your burdens. He has never fainted under their weight. Come then, soul. Have none with fretting care and leave all thy concerns in the hand of a gracious God. If God cares for you, why need you care too? 
God is sovereign over the affairs of men, and He calls you when He needs to call you. When I get there, when I walk into that situation on Thursday, and I even find out, too, they had called some another chaplain, but that person didn't pick up their phone, so they called me. And you're like, oh, hey, all right. But was God's hand not strong enough to make that other person not be there, that He knew that they wanted me to be at that time where I'm going, go, I don't know what do you say to situations like this. Do you trust Him to care for you? Do you actually trust Him? Do you actually trust that the things going on in your life have been brought to you by God's hand, His sovereign hand, knowing that this is what you need at this time to show you of your walk with God and where it needs to be, so you take your anxieties, you take the stresses of life, and you literally cast them on Him because He cares for you better than you could ever care for yourself. Augustine, or if you like to pronounce it Augustine, whatever way you roll with that, said, Our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Your heart will not find the rest that it is claiming and clamoring for until it finds it in God and God alone. So now, what did we learn today? If we really trust God, we will trust Him as that mighty fortress that He truly is. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 46, because I'm going to read this and then pray. Psalm 46, and we'd like for you to read this together. Because we're going, so here's what we're going to do. I asked Russ if we could throw an audible here at the end of the, at the end of the sermon. So we're going to be singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And then after we're done singing that, we're going to, because He is a mighty fortress, then we're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. But we're going to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, to remind ourselves why we are to cast our anxieties on Him, because He can care for us, because what is He by definition? A mighty fortress. Look at the way Psalm 46 reminds us why we can cast it on Him. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy inhabitants of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nation rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. So in the midst of all of that destruction, in the midst of all of that chaos, and the, the, you want, I want you to hear the clatter of all of those things being destroyed in front of you. And here's what it says, as if you were removed from it quickly. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do we truly believe that? The fortress that we can run to and be safe. Dear Holy Father, help us. Help us to grasp the song we're about ready to sing, that a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark that is never, never fails. And even though we'll be reminded that the prince of darkness is grim and, and he can attack us and, and all these things, but we don't tremble for him. One little word will cause him to flee. 
So, Heavenly Father, help us now as we sing. Help us now as we turn our hearts to communion. May you be honored through it all. May we take our anxieties and literally cast them on you because your word truly says he cares for us. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us as we sing.